This week on Music 101, we're behind the scenes at the 2022 APRA Silver Scroll Awards. We celebrate 20 years of Lil Chief Records. Ernie Bell performs live. And Roger Marbeck from the family record store Marbeck's picks his favourite songs on the mixtape. Music 101, the Saturday with me, Charlotte Ryan, from 1pm here on RNZ National. Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way. And people online have been trying for years to decode just what I Want It That Way means. As in, what is it that you want? And what way do you actually want it? It's never been explained, (laughs) Martin Bosley. (laughs) I've never thought about it before. I was singing along to the song. How did I want it that way? And why did I want it that way? You see? Yeah, I don't know. It's just... It's like that Meatloaf song, right? Two out of three. It was it? Um, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I was like, what was, what was that? It's a bit like the Spice Girls and the one 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 Oh, you see, we've, we've all got examples. We all have examples, uh, Nalini. That's right. I, I just, I'm racking my brain. What is it that you want and what way do you want it? And I'm just, you know... Uh, uh, it's hard to keep a song alive. Well, well see, we're still talking about it. <laughs> anyway, it's given the, the song. For a long it's <laughs> it's given the song mystery. Um, I want it that way. Um, thank you. Yeah, the Backstreet Boys actually went over to Sweden to do that song, and it was written by the legendary Swedish producers Max Martin and Andreas Carlson. They've written for Britney Spears, Celine Dion, they're huge stars. And the reason the song doesn't make much sense, apparently, is because Max Martin, his second language was English. Uh, and uh, so he just made words up. And the record label... bought in translation. Yes, the record label actually brought in producer Mutt Lang to rework the tune so it'll make sense. But the group liked the original version better. Mm. It made sense, but didn't sound as good. So I wanted that way stayed. 25 to 5. And by the way, uh, as an added note, the Backstreet Boys... Coming to New Zealand. There you go. Um, I'm in. <laughs> sure, Martin. Uh, very good. Now, we often hear about how this is very interesting. This this, this piece. How men, how mental health services are under increased pressure, and many are now turning to online apps to plug the app to plug the gap. In fact, in 2021, there was a get this. Six and a half thousand percent increase in doctors recommending mental health apps to patients. Some of those apps include All Right, Happify, and Headspace, which offers guided meditations sounding a little something like this. 
So sitting comfortably, just beginning with a nice big deep breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. Yeah, feeling relaxed. But are these pixels any real replacement for real people? With us, a senior lecturer in public health at the University of Canterbury, Karen Matthias, and who wrote a piece about this for the conversation. Um, Karen, kia ora. Welcome to the programme. I just had no idea that there were so many apps. In fact, 33 mental health apps listed on Aotearoa's Health Navigator site. Yeah, it's just exploding. And internationally, you know, it's running into many thousands. It's, I, think, I think COVID accelerated it, but it's mm. really... Um, I think just dazzling people on all sides, like, wow, we could save so much money. This could, we've got so many mental health problems and this might be easier and faster than paying for real people. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I mean, app development that did accelerate through the pandemic, um, uh, funded through the COVID response package, but it's opened up, I guess, other issues, other conversations to have. For example, are they effective? Yeah, well, that's a question. And to be honest, the jury is still out. There's Mm. definitely been some really effective studies um, and rigorous ones that have shown improvement, but it's not, it's improving some mental health problems for some people. And often the developers of the app um, will then, you know, expand that to say, this is, you know, the big new shiny silver solution to mental health problems. And Often the evaluations only look at, you know, do people like it? Do they use it? Uh, and within a month or two, perhaps they stop using it. So there's there's a long way to go before we can be completely convinced this is um, the best way forward. It's a very interesting topic, a very interesting uh, issue, this. You know, to what extent, um, uh, Dr. Matthias, that these, as you mentioned, shiny new apps um, might indeed divert the government's investment in traditional, but, you know, let's face it, costly actual mental health care. Yeah, and it, it is really important to recognise that one of the the way that mental health care is provided is important as well as what is provided. So um, this was really evident during the um, Ototahi recovery period where people were having a lot of mental health problems and screens were not solving things. They actually needed relationships and connection to people. And so I guess that's what I'm kind of um, querying in this paper is just saying there's definitely a place for apps, but often the, the platform of more time on screens might actually be making mental health problems worse because of the medium when people are already but not getting yeah. enough human connection. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, so if you if you do use some of these apps, you know, be it All Right or Happify or Headspace, let me know how do you find them. Do you still use them? Um, and for a reminder, here is that soundbite again. So sitting comfortably, just beginning with a nice big deep breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. Martin Bosley, do you use an app like this? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. But um, uh, that, that's because I go to counselling once a week, Wallace. 
Uh, so I, have, I actually have a, a real life counselor, but uh, a lot of it is breathing exercises. Um, but I think, I mean, it's interesting that, um, kia ora Karen, that, um, that you say there's sort of actually no convincing evidence these apps actually work. But then you know, I suppose something's better than nothing, though, right? For for some people, if they, you know, if they can't reach, get to a counsellor, then, you know, if, if, the, if the app is helping, then that's probably a good yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that in lots of ways, people use apps because we have got this massive shortfall. We haven't got enough people on the mm. ground providing mental health care for young people, for whanau in rural communities where it's really, you know, remote and difficult to access care. So I'd you know, in lots of ways, it's a stopgap that may well be better than nothing. And I think it's important to acknowledge that um, it's not, a, they're not, yeah, that, that they can be valuable for that purpose. But just, I, I think mm. not by themselves. Ideally, they're provided along with psychosocial, real human um, Yeah, alongside. Alongside. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, you know, there's nothing better really than, than, than somebody else. I mean, it's interesting to me that a lot of the, anxieties that people have are brought on by social media apps that we then go to an app to find the solution to those social anxieties. <laughs> um, I've got yeah. a guess before Nalini Johnson, but um, how do you rate Bob Ross? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, let's say seven out of ten. <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Nalini. <laughs> yeah, no, hi, Karen. Um, yeah, I... I to me, mental health is a very big basket with different degrees of, of you know, people are affected in different in different degrees. So how an app can actually capture everybody is, is something I can't seem to get my head around. But um, I also wondered, do you have to pay for this service when you use an app? app? Um, is it a paid service? Are... Yes, a good question. Um, it's quite a mix. Some of them are... Free, and some of them have got really good government subsidy or people who just put enormous amounts of time into them. And then there is this, of course, you can imagine that this is also actually revenue generating for some people. And there's a kind yes. of mixed yeah. hybrid solutions where you have a counsellor sometimes and an app and you, you know, a kind of mix. And those ones um, are pretty popular, I think, particularly in the US. And they can be hundreds of dollars a month for subscriptions. Wow. Okay. Now, um, I wondered, Karen, are there any apps, mental health apps, that you would recommend? Yeah, well, there's actually one that was launched for World Mental Health Day last week. It's um, Jason Tepatu is the developer, and M3 Fano app is the name of it. And it's probably kind of capturing the best in apps where it's used a Kopapa Māori uh, methodology. It was developed with communities rather than an abstract tech man sitting in a dark room. And it also is a hybrid one. So it's got this kanohi ki te kanohi, the sort of face-to-face -face, um, opportunities for mixing and developing relationships along with an app mm. which can give people ideas on mindfulness and sleep. So oh. there are some great ones out there. Very cool. I think actually that Jesse Mulligan uh, did an interview uh, about that particular app uh, just last week. It was released very re recently, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Just um, on World Mental Health Day last Monday, I think. Very good. Thanks for being with us. That's Dr. Karen Matthias, Senior Lecturer in Public Health at the University of Canterbury. It's quite, Canterbury, it's quite an interesting uh, article, actually. It's in the conversation. Uh, just uh, look online. It's about uh, whether or not uh, these mental health apps, of which there are now numerous 
amounts uh, actually work. Uh, so the jury is out whether they uh, work. But nonetheless, as Martin said, something is better than nothing, I guess. Um, a doctor from Wellington and Wairarapa has texted and there is a difference between a mental health app and an online clinical treatment program like a Just a Thought. It's crucial that the distinction is made. Someone says here, I use daily calm-free meditation every morning and it has transformed my life. So, yeah, some people getting a few things out of it. Wallace, not a good idea to trust tech companies to solve our ills. It's, mm. uh, it can also be, in some cases, data collection to be uh, unsold. Now, Punakaiki Marine Reserve on the West Coast has experienced widespread loss of its main species of kelp, and it's thought that climate change could be the culprit. The area that sits next to the popular tourist attraction, Punukake Rocks, Pancake Rocks, has lost at least 90% of its bull kelp. To tell us what's going on, uh, we have Docks West Coast Marine Reserve's ranger Don Neal joining us on the panel. Kia ora, Don. Yeah, kia ora, uh, Wallace. How are you going? Very well. I got you on because um, I actually felt a little bit sad about this because knowing this, these, uh, these, these, these amazing attractions, the Punukaki Rocks, when I think of it, I, think of the, I don't just think of the rocks. I think that it's synonymous with the extraordinary forests of kelp. And to think they're gone, that's sad. It is, yeah, the swirling bull kelp of the, of the west it. coast and, uh, and, and through a lot of the South Island and then into the North Island as well is a, a real feature of uh, yeah. a lot of the coastlines around, around here. And it's, a, it's an amazing plant in its own right, really. It's the biggest uh, intertidal seaweed in the world by far. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just got lots of really interesting features about it. It, it can sustain, um, you know, massive storms of, um, of 10 metre waves and things and, and accelerations of up to 100 and, oh, I think 1400 metres per second for just a split second every time the big storm wave comes past and, and this sort of thing. So it's actually a really, a really tough, tough seaweed. And, uh, it's really, yeah, really disappointing, I guess, that it is, uh, dying off in the way it is around the Punakaiki Marine Reserve. What's going on? Well, we, um, we're, we're attributing a lot of it pretty likely to the uh, marine heat wave that happened last summer. Um, a similar sort of thing happened on the east coast in the 2017 heat wave over there. They lost a lot of the bull kelp in certain places, especially around Littleton Harbour and I think some of the Otago coast. Um, the the Kokoda earthquake didn't help when that happened as well, I think in 2016, I think, um, when a lot of the bull kelp beds were uplifted um, several metres and, and it causes a die-off of the kelp over there, um, pretty widespread over there. And so um, the the event here at Punakaiki is quite likely effect, uh, caused by the heat wave that happened here on the west coast over the um, over the sort of autumn summer uh, uh, yeah summer autumn sort of period of 22. Um, and the temperatures, water temperatures were uh, probably up to about five degrees higher than average. Um, the air nice. temperatures were pretty high as well, and that seems to have an effect on the kelp as well as just the water temperature. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Punukaiki Marine Reserve, Pancake Rocks, no bull kelp. Unbelievable. Nalini. Uh, yes. Oh, sorry. It's, it's so... 
sorry, hi, Don. Isn't it mesmerizing when you watch those kelps coming Love in it. and going out with the tides? I and mean, it's just, it's it's nature in the healing, just watching it sometimes. Um, Don, can can I ask you about the Marine Reserve Program you, you, you talked about? So New Zealand has 44 marine reserves around the country and, um, and especially in recent years we've been putting a real effort into monitoring those reserves so that we can find out not just about what's happening in the reserves themselves and, and making sure that people are you know, following the rules and things too but the monitoring in the marine reserves we're doing around the country are, are kind of just helping us to tell the story of what's happening in the oceans in general uh, around New Zealand and, and they, they, the marine reserves are serving as a bit of a focus for monitoring and research around the place So um, and, and really this has come directly from that monitoring that we've been doing. We took some photos in uh, March of this year and uh, around the Punakaiki Reserve um, that showed really you know, big extents of areas of bull kelp um, and then I repeated the, the photographs in September and um, and yeah, we found this really just sort of really widespread uh, loss of the bull kelp, probably 90% plus loss in some places. Uh, Martin? So d- oh, yeah, look, look. sorry, sorry. I, I, like Martin. you, I felt... Um, I spent, I spent a bit of time in Punakaiki and I felt very sad reading um, you know, reading this. Mm. I, guess, I, mean, I mean, a few things sort of came to mind. One was, um, you know, like, I suppose this is going to increase predation on, you know, the mussels, the power and the craze that are, that are you know, that, that use this as a, as, a, as a, you know, as part of the ecological habitat. Um, but is it, mm. is it something that can be, you know, in terms of, it, um, I guess, transplantations or restorations or strain selections, you know, can it be replaced, uh, or is it just a case of like other seaweed taking its place? I mean, well, how does it, how do we solve it? Uh, it really is a difficult one. I think um, doing anything in the sea is kind of pretty difficult at times. You know, you can't just go and dig a hole and plant the, uh, yeah. the kelp there again because it, it attaches by not by roots but by a hole fast that um, attaches with a real super glue that it's got sort of thing. So, so no, it's not as straightforward as being able to just replace it like that. And and Canterbury University and Niwa and others are doing research on the um, die-off on the Canterbury coast and the Kokoda coast too and trying to find out, you know, how does it re-establish itself and and it doesn't actually travel very far in its larval traveling stage um, and so if you have widespread die-off of the kelp um, from an area then it can potentially take years to decades to recover again so we'll be watching the Punakaiki Reserve and, and we're also trying to find out how widespread it is on the west coast as well we're waiting for some good tides to get out and have a decent look in other places too Absolutely. To, to see how widespread it is here oh, Let's just hope that sometime it comes uh, it, it returns for now though Don Neal uh, from uh, Dog West Coast Marine Reserves. Kia ora, Don. Uh, someone okay. says, uh, I was on uh, Omapere Beach one time and was astounded to see a couple of guys in wetsuits driving down to the beach, stopping to pull in armloads of kelp along the beach. Um, I also wonder if humans have anything to do with the depopulation in the area, but it does look to be, uh, as Don said, the culprit is those, those warming oceans. Huh? Uh, we will come back to mental health apps uh, next week because it's been quite an interesting, quite a response. For example, here one, the app Smiling Mind is good. My psychologist put me onto it for meditation, mm-hmm. mindfulness, sleep, and to help me with anxiety. It has made 
a big difference to my life. So uh, thank you very much for that. We will uh, talk about the the came back into my own ears for some reason week. Uh, and there's someone coming through the the, the phones there. So uh, um, hopefully you're getting the right channels. Yeah, eight to five. The panel. Well, we may all drive cars and see bikes as a bit of a fringe activity, growing but fringe. And then I see this article this weekend. South Canterbury Cycling Clubs, past and present, will come together to elaborate, uh, sorry, to celebrate 100 years of cycling. Cycling was very popular in South Canterbury in the 1800s. Is there a car club that can lay claim to that? Maybe we should give all the roads over to the cycles and give the cars the bike lanes. With us is Darren Cuthbertson <laughs> from the Cycling South Canterbury Club. He's the president, in fact, Darren Kiora. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. A century of cycling in South Canterbury. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's quite an impressive feat, really. And uh, and it's just, the, I mean, the formation of the Timaru Bicycle Club back in 1922, it's a, it's a celebration of that, really. There was, obviously, as you just said, the, there was some cycling activities uh, uh, prior to this, but this is just the uh, celebration of a, of a continuous club in South Canterbury for all that length of time, which is quite uh, quite amazing, really. 1922 cycling, unbelievable. If I was cycling 100 years ago, what would I be riding on? Oh, well, it would be a heavy steel bike. Uh, I guess back then, too, there was actually some locally made bikes. There were bikes made in Tamuka, I think Timaru and Christchurch as well. So it would be a heavy steel bike. Road-wise, you would have been on some uh, some heavy uh, clay road. Uh, not too much uh, bitumen around those, in those days. But, yeah, it would, have been, uh, it would have been a lot of tough work anyway. Yeah. And both women and men would have ridden bikes 100 uh, years back? Uh, mainly men, from what I can understand. I, I'm not sure when uh, you know, uh, women got uh, you know, fully involved in it. Obviously, it's uh, they're, um, you know, as equals nowadays, um, as they should be. But uh, back in the day, there was uh, obviously a bit of uh, gender bias and that sort of thing. Uh, the, the ladies were probably helping out uh, with uh, tea uh, straight after the race and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, primarily back in the day would have been a male-dominated sport. I just think it's amazing, Lenny. A century on, and bikes, they've gone nowhere. <laughs> still two wheels. You've still got to pedal them. Um, unless you get an e-bike, of course. It's a whole different kettle of fish. Yes. Nalini, um, come in. Are you there? Sorry about the Zoom, folks. It's a, a bit patchy today. Nalini. I know. They, 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 yeah, we've got bad connection down here. Um, but, you know, these days they have, what, 18, 19 gears probably. So it's not that yeah. old stuff that, you know, yeah. But uh, South Canterbury, I mean, what a place to have a race, right? I mean, it's a wonderful part of New Zealand to be having a bike strike. And it's no surprise that we're seeing 100 years of this. I mean, South Canterbury is a place to be for for good, safe roads. Am I right, Darren? And Great. and some some really inspirational scenery. Now, I, I can't help but put this question in there. You can now wear special um, socks to reduce wind drag. Am I right? Um, there is. It's absolutely incredible how scientific science is. serious got, uh, stuff. Yeah, oh, it is. I mean, you look at um, even uh, the last Olympics, I think one of the teams got uh, uh, got a penalty or got warned anyway for um, wearing uh, bandages on their knees, which were going to make their legs more aerodynamic. So it's very, very high-tech these days and uh, all wind tunnel tested and that sort of thing. So it's quite incredible how, how far it's come in, in 100 years um, and more. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff there. Uh, Martin, what about you? Oh, look, I love this whole idea. I think, you know, reading this was brilliant. Four generations, spawned Olympians. Lovely, spawned, isn't it? 
world, world champs. I want to know for the centenary ride, though, are people going to get dressed up like you know, like in 19, oh, 20, yeah. 20, 30 years and get out there? Or is it, or is it like, as, as Nalini said, high tech, low efficient drag socks? Um, you know, what's the go? Is it, is it, is it to be encouraged <laughs> to get your tweeds on? To be fair, I haven't actually considered the uh, the attire that everyone will be wearing, but uh, good point. Um, there may be someone that turns Have up. Legs? There is a <laughs> shaved legs or something like that. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's particularly going to be just a good time for the you know the guys that have raced and, and ridden in the, in the past to, to come out and have a ride with some of the, the new members coming through, some of the juniors and that sort of thing. We've still got a strong junior club down here in Timaru, um, so it'll be a great chance. Um, and, yeah, who knows what they're going to wear. Well done, you. Well done, you're 100 years old. <laughs> Speaking of what you're going to wear, is it really a century on? Is it time once and for all to ban Lycra? <laughs> I actually thought you were going to ask something like that. Um, Is it time? In, in, in particular instances, I totally agree. I think the old uh, middle-aged man in Lycra needs to take a look at himself and uh, and sort that uh, beer gut out. But uh, for most people... I don't understand it. I cycle. I, I've got my old my old boardies on. I've got a singlet on. Away <laughs> I go. I don't need Lycra to ride a bicycle. <laughs> You're talking about an yeah, so... I mean, it needs to be banned from cafes on Saturday mornings, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Good on Wallace, you, Darren. Wallace, you must come to the wire wrapper. I must, I must. <laughs> I will, I promise you, I will. I'll bring the whanau over. Um, Darren Cuthbertson, congratulations. It's fantastic. And I'll, um, you've got some events too. So uh, the events are Friday 21st, the sale, drinks. You've got the Centenary Ride at Levels Raceway, the 22nd, uh, barbecue lunch, the, uh, Saturday at 12, and on it goes. So we will um, oh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll alert you to those, or you can just do a search for um, South Canterbury cycling very good you've both been wonderful um uh, 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 yeah thanks for being with us this afternoon any plans for the long weekend any plans for the long weekend i'm a farmer i'll be working all weekend what about you martin Uh, yeah i'm currently in hamilton so i'll be driving back home to greytown um tomorrow Uh, so i've been been on the road for last oysters martin no, 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 no. I've been doing other things but along those lines. Um, no, heading, okay. heading home over the weekend. Very good. Uh, I'm Wallace Chapman. I'm back at 3.45 a Tuesday. A big thank you to my producer, Charlie Drever. Uh, Checkpoint with Rowan Quinn next. See you later.